0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: This episode of Red Inca is about Nicholas Peran, one of the most exciting
0: players in the world game. And to talk about him, I've gone and got an expert who podcasts. My name is Santoki Nagulendran. I'm co-founder and co-host of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast.
1: We talk about the under 19 World Cup, why he hasn't played more first class matches. He's banned by Cricket West Indies, the Trini Boys, early franchise success, the 2019 World Cup, the IPL, and that car accident. And I've got you on to talk about Nicholas Puran because he's fun and people don't talk about him enough. And you just did an interview with him for was it Crick Info? Yeah, quick info, yeah. I knew I read it somewhere. Let's go back to the start of his career. I'm not an under-19 person because there's already 3,000 professional cricketers in the world. I don't need to also know about a 17-year-old from Bangladesh just yet. But my memory was that he was one of the few people from an under-19 tournament that really popped back in the day and everyone was talking about him.
0: Yeah, because he sort of defined... Well, even to this day, his defining career moment has been that 143 against Australia in the quarterfinals. And um, I think he scored over 300 runs from his six matches. So... He sort of made a name for himself in the under-19, especially in the region people started talking about him. I mean, in Trinidad, he'd sort of been groomed for being the next future star from a young, young age. But this kind of got the whole region talking about him. But then, unfortunately, other things happened, other circumstances happened, which sort of derailed his career for the next year, two years. Yeah, so he does the under-19 World Cup, comes back. He plays three games
1: for Trinidad in first-class cricket. I think he might have played a couple of List Liste or something as well around that period, or, or certainly played some other representative cricket. Then he has the car accident. My memory of the car accident the way that he told me was he had the car accident and Trinidad gave him money to get his rehab done. And then halfway through that, they decided that they weren't going to continue to fund his rehab. If you ask Puran, he talks a lot about Gus Logie, the former West Indian uh, short leg legend, Not always in the most positive terms, I think that's a fair way of putting it, but that was really derailing his career, but it also shows how quickly West Indies can lose out on um, next generation talent.
0: Yeah, so he had that car crash, I think, January 2015, and it sort of took him six months just to be able to walk unassisted. And you kind of imagine being Mm. at one point, he thought he would never play cricket again. And since then, you've sort of seen him play so many franchise tournaments, you get the feeling that he's just grateful that he's able to play cricket. It's always sort of in the back of his mind that that opportunity was taken away from him. I mean, as you said, he had problems with the Trinidad and Tobago cricket board. He ended up having to play for his local club, Queen's Park, instead of the Trinidad and Tobago national setup because they wouldn't medically clear him, which sort of linked to them not funding his medical rehab. Um, and it was all messy and typical West Indies administration issues. But since then, he sort of defined himself as the quintessential freelance franchise cricketer. Yeah, so he started
1: playing, I th- I'm trying to remember, I think he played tournaments in Seattle. He might have played in Houston as well in America. So he made a little bit of money from that. He was very lucky. I don't, I don't mean lucky completely, but he, he was very lucky that he signed with Insignia who I think at that stage were already Darren Sammy's agent. They were already Karen Pollard's agent. Everyone except for Dwayne Bravo and Chris Gale, I think they had at one stage in West Indies cricket. And they got him an IPL gig and a BPL gig when no one really knew who he was outside of that under-19 thing. And he basically developed that way. I don't know if you know the full story of it but I'm pretty sure um I've talked to him about it and I, he was at someone's house for like a barbecue or a dinner or something it was all the Trini boys were there and he literally said to them do you think I'll be able to like just develop as a cricketer by just playing franchise leagues and I think it was Dwayne Bravo took him aside and said yes but it's going to be very very hard and this is how it's going to be and he did and he just went
0: off and played all these random leagues because he didn't have a first class team yeah, exactly, and I think twenty sixteen CPL he got bought for ninety thousand US dollars by um the Barbados Tridents, who were obviously then captained by Kyron Pollard. And to put it into context, that was the same fee that Andre Russell got to play for Jamaica Talawas. And this was Nicholas Pooran, who hadn't played a professional <laughs> game for over a year. So that sort of sums up how well, like. The Trinidadian posse, as you mentioned, Pollard, Narayan, DJ Bravo, they sort of highly regarded him in that sense that Pollard was willing to take a gamble mm. with him. And the Mumbai Indians, the next year, 2017, Kyron Pollard actually arranged for Nicholas Pouran to play in an empty stadium in um, Mumbai as a trial to get him in. And once he'd done well in that, mm. Mumbai Indians signed him, which sort of shows the extent. Also shows the pulling power of Kyron Pollard and... Robin Singh as well, fellow Trinidadian, who was head coach of Barbados Tridents at the time, he was obviously in a Mumbai setup as well. Just how much they were sort of pulling for him and how highly regarded he was seen as, mm. to go to that extent to fly him out to Mumbai, play in an empty stadium, and then consequently signed, considering, as you said, he hadn't had much cricket behind him. Yeah. I remember um Polly doesn't send me very many messages
1: unless there's something on his mind. One of the few times he did send me a message was when I wrote about Puran. Like he does almost treat him like a little brother. Like, there's a real strong bond between, you know, Karen Pollard and Nicholas Puran. And I think if he hadn't have had that, I think it's very possible he still would have been a successful cricketer, but he might have floated through his career a little bit more. But because he had the very good agent and, you know, the links to all these different people, and everyone who saw him, from what I could tell, was like, well, this is obviously, you know, West Indies' next great batter, even if he didn't have the sort of background that you and I would sort of typically think of of a first class cricketer.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget he was also banned by Cricket West Indies for 10 months from playing any domestic cricket because he wanted to play in the Bangladesh Premier League. And so, like you said, if he didn't have those connections to other franchises, he sort of would have been left in the lurch, really, being banned from domestic cricket. He ended up playing in Hong Kong, Seattle, as you mentioned, in America, Bangladesh Premier League. And so he sort of honed his skills at various franchises across the world rather than at his home domestic club, Trinidad and Tobago. And when he was banned, when you're talking about that, I mean, my understanding was that he was actually happy
1: to play, but he'd had a falling out with Trinidad and he was being offered all these other offers anyway. So it wasn't like they were about to play him. This is the interesting thing. He's used now by a lot of people to say, look, ah, the young people don't want to play first-class cricket anymore. Look at Nicholas Perron. But when you talk to him, he's like, of course I wanted to play first-class cricket. Like He's not one of the first players to ever turn his back on first-class cricket. He had an actual issue with at first the Trinidad board and then the West Indian board, which basically, it could have just completely ruined
0: his career. Yeah, essentially, unless he had contacts at other franchises, we wouldn't see him playing cricket in 2022 because of that, because he'd been banned and outcast. He was sort of left by himself. So in one way, it's it's sort of remarkable he's kind of reintegrated himself into West Indies cricket and become dedicated to the national side because he would be justified to sort of just become a permanent freelance franchise cricket based on how he's been treated. So that is very interesting as well. And also, like you said, when I spoke to him, Test Cricket is very much, he sees it as the pinnacle still. I guess he's 26, coming up to 27, so he's still of the age group that sees Test Cricket as being the pinnacle for a cricketer. He very much wants to play. He spoke to Sir Desmond Haynes, the West Indies selector, in January, and said he's up for playing Test Cricket. It's just the problem is obviously as a common problem in modern cricket how do you play first class cricket how do you set aside time to play first class cricket when the money on offer he'll be at IPL in may when west indies are resuming their first class season so how do you sort of balance that out from speaking to him i sort of got the impression that he was hoping there'd be a compromise and he'd be fast tracked into the test side rather than having to commit to playing for trinidad and tobago in the first class setup for 75 100 us dollars a game
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, he played three games over the first, what, six years of his career. I'm just having a look. He's up to five. The other two games, are they both West Indies A? I know at least one of them was a West Indies A game. I don't think he's played for Trinidad in a first-class game, has he, since when he was
0: young? Yeah, since when he was young, the last two games were the two West Indies A games against New Zealand A. And even in those matches, he captained, he was wicket keeper, he took a wicket, right arm off break. So he was all over the place. He sort of dominated that first-class match. He hit an innings, I think, 69 or 63 balls, so kept that strike rate up. So he's definitely someone who could do well in first-class cricket. It's just whether West Indies want to take the risk and throw him into the deep end. Yeah, my memory of that, I'm
1: just having a look at the scorecard. It was an incredibly strong A-game. So Glenn Phillips, Tim Seifert, Mark Chapman, Jimmy Neesham, Ratcham Ravindra, Bracewell played as well, Ish Sodi, And then you've got Kyle Mayers, Jaden Seals, Romario Shepard, Kimo Paul, Rockin Cornwall, Brandon King. I mean, it's ridiculous. Or Fabian Allen. It was like an all-star A-game, that one. It was absolutely phenomenal. But, you know, when you look at him, there's nothing in his game that suggests that he can't move to first-class cricket and to test cricket, I'd still say, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what you think, but outside of Brathwaite and maybe Hepmeier, he's probably still in the top three talents as far as just pure batting in the West Indies.
0: Yeah, 100%. His, his technique suggests that. And as we've seen in T20 cricket, whereas before he sort of came down the order five, six, seven 6 as, as a finisher, I think now you've seen him develop and move up the order into that 3-4 role because his technique is so good. Franchises are relying on him to carry and anchor that innings yeah it's, it's that combo
1: role so when he first came in so the breakthrough season he had in the CPL I'm trying to remember if it was that first year in Barbados when he came in in the middle order and sort of smashed the ball everywhere you know at that point there was no doubt that he was a very good player but people couldn't quite work out what to do with him because he was going to have to bat at six or seven he's really just every year added little bits to his game until well he bats at number three now for the West Indies doesn't he
0: yeah exactly so he bats at number three for West Indies he's done very well he hit over 60 in every innings against India in a three-match series last month. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's really developed and matured as a player. And it's interesting because when I spoke to him about his stint at Punjab Kings last season where he averaged 7.75, he sort of said as well, because he was coming in later on as a finisher, he didn't face that many balls, really. So in some regards, he didn't really see it as a failure because he wasn't soaking up balls. He was going for one ball duck, two ball ducks. So it'd be interesting to see sort of how the Sunrisers utilise him. Do they keep him as a finisher, is what he's known as in the IPL? Or do they look at what West Indies have done and move him up to uh, position three? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, he's
1: kind of like a Glenn Maxwell number four. You don't really want him in at the power play. In fact, I think the West Indies make a mistake sometimes allowing him to go in during the power play. I think that you basically, you make sure he doesn't go in in the power play, but the minute the power play's over, the next wicket is when you send him in. He's so good against spin and the way that he manipulates it. And if he's in later, he'll smash everyone around everywhere. Well, let's briefly mention the IPL stuff. He had probably the worst IPL season I've ever seen anyone have last year after having a great half a season and then an absolutely great season. So he had about a year and a half in the IPL where he dominated. And then last year, I mean, you said, so he made a golden duck. Did he make a diamond duck as well?
0: Did he run out
1: without facing a ball maybe yeah, He went out second ball in one game. It was actually hilarious how bad Mm. his season was. He obviously would not have felt that way. Psychologically, it sounds like he's handled that pretty well though, from your chat.
0: Yeah, I think, obviously, in 2020, he did well, partly because KL Rahul, Gail Agarwal, they were batting so well. When he was coming in, there wasn't that pressure. Whereas last season, we saw Gayle in particular, struggle for the Punjab Kings. So, Puran was coming in with a lot more pressure. But when I spoke to him, he brushed it off. He sort of said, I've been doing well in international cricket, and people should judge me on that recent series rather than last year's IPL. So, for me, it doesn't seem like he fears anything. And we talked about the price tag. Obviously, that's going to come into it one4 million us dollars and he also said like he obviously takes note of it but it doesn't add any pressure to his game and one thing that was interesting was when i spoke to him he was playing t10 cricket in trinidad with narayan pollard evan lewis And he attributed that because he feels T10 cricket is something which adds that fearlessness into your game. And Mm. so probably playing for West Indies at number three, because he had pressure on him to carry the innings, it was sort of a release playing T10 cricket, kind of getting that fearlessness back into him, expanding his uh, variety of shots. So he was using that as preparation for coming into this year's IPL.
1: I mean, the other thing is, it does tell you that, like, as I just said, he's probably had the worst season. I'm trying to think of an overseas player who's had a worst season in the OPL that's played as many games as he got and struggled as much as he did. But the other side of it is the fact that he went for 1.4 million, people are starting to work out that there is variance. Do you remember when Tamal Mills had a bit of a bad season and we just never saw him in the IPL again, right? Like teams are now starting to go, okay, we get this. Yes, he's had a bad season, but it was a dramatically weird, bad season. So we're willing to sort of move on from that. So that's very interesting. What I thought was, and I've thought this for a little while watching him, is he started to struggle a little bit more, especially when the balls bowled short at him. And I wonder if, and I know there's a there's a real thinking in the West Indies that one of the reasons that Chris Gale was such a good t20 player is because he had so long as a test player and his game was so developed by that point do you think that there's something to be said for maybe the new generation of west indian cricketers coming into t20 it's not that they're not as talented as the ones who came in before but they don't have that grounding of first class cricket and test cricket for when you get to the absolute top level so the ipl and the international stuff they may
0: be just not as rounded as players yeah, 100%. I think that lack of foundation, as you said, poor and struggles with back-of-the-length balls, and that's something you really learn from playing first-class cricket in the Red Bull game. So he's sort of had to learn on the job, learning from IPL, top franchise tournaments, how to play that. But I don't think you can really do that without that first-class cricket grounding. And it's something I think Ian Bishop mentioned on commentary in a recent game, that this new T20 generation, poor, and they do need to invest in playing first-class cricket because it will benefit their T20 game long-term. Yeah, it's really interesting one, because I could see why
1: for most of the time that it wouldn't actually make have much of an impact, right? Like if, if he's playing in the Abu Dhabi classic or wherever, right? And some of these other, you know, he played in the Canadian league when that was around. There's a lot of leagues where he could sort of stroll up right um, medium fast, he's going to hit out of the park. Anyone who spins the ball back into him he's going to hit out of the park. And maybe if there's a guy who can bowl a couple of bounces, he just gets off strike and it's not a problem. When he gets to international cricket and when he gets to IPL, it's actually harder to hide those sorts of weaknesses because you do have more bowlers who can exploit that. And the other thing is that we know a lot about him, right? It wasn't that long ago we didn't know anything about him. Teams know a lot about him now. So he does actually have to develop. Did you talk to him about any of that or is that the sort of thing that he sort of brushed off with you?
0: So he sort of said for him, he doesn't see it as more technical issues. He sees it as more mental issues. So, about mental barriers and kind of having confidence in his game and his ability to bat so I mean it could be a case of him not wanting to give away what he perceives as people's flaws of him but he did reiterate to me that he saw it as more of a mental thing a psychological thing building back his confidence after last year's IPL and it'd be interesting as well with his um we talked about his fee 1.4 million US dollars I guess it wouldn't have helped either that the Sunrisers Murali their spin coach sort of said yeah we paid that for poor and because we couldn't get Ishan Kishan, and we weren't sure about Johnny Besto, So we just needed any international wicketkeeper. So I don't know if that would have helped his confidence going into the IPL. Yeah,
1: it's quite weird. I mean, what do you think of his wicketkeeping? I remember years ago when I was building a franchise and I was hoping to get Puran in, and, and I said, should we get him in as wicketkeeper? And they were like, well, no, because he can't keep, right? So he's kind of... I mean, at the moment, West Indies might have the two worst or three worst wicket keepers in Shy Hope, De Silva, and Puran. From a pure technical standpoint, they're all pretty much batters who pick up the gloves. His wicket keeping is very,
0: very hit and miss, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I'd say it wouldn't be a strong point of his, and... Obviously, at Punjab Kings, KO Rahul kept wicket, so he hasn't got that experience either. When I did talk mm. to him, he said he enjoys fielding just as much as wicket keeping. So it's not as if wicket keeping is like a that's a- never a good sign. Exactly,
1: <laughs> when someone say. Yeah, you know, I also like that it's just like, no, wicket keepers do not like to field unless they're doing it just for fun occasionally in slips to see how they go. So yeah, I mean, I think that's quite interesting. Also how he's going to go in a full season of keeping up to the stumps to spinners. So obviously he does it in the West Indies, but a lot of the West Indian spinners are a bit more containing bowlers. He might get a, a, you know, a slightly more dramatic spinning to go up against. I mean, to be fair, he plays spin very good. So it's not that he can't pick it. It's just that. His hands and feet don't exactly move the way that you want a professional wicket-keeper to move.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think it'll be very tough for him keeping to attacking spinners, as you said, on on these Indian pitches. And it'll be interesting to see how keeping wicket affects his game, whether it affects his actual batting, having to keep for 20 overs as well under that high-pressure environment. One of the other
1: interesting things I think about, so when he had the bad IPL season, there was a lot of people sort of going, ah, he's a busted flush. I think a
0: lot of people forget that he had an incredible 2019 World Cup yeah, a hundred percent. and funny story if you ask my wife who's the greatest cricket player of all time she'll tell you Nicholas Pooran because the one game she's seen live was West Indies against Pakistan and Poran I think he hit 34 of 19 but just the way his movement and sort of the frantic nature of his batting and also the fact that looking at him so Chris Gale played in that game and you sort of looking at him as someone who doesn't watch cricket you'd expect him to hit sixes whereas Pooran didn't look mm. like someone who could clear the boundary so she was completely captivated by his play and to this day if you ask her because she's got no context but just how well he played in that game she will say he's the greatest cricket player of all time but that's sort of a good barometer as to a star because someone who doesn't watch cricket if you're captivated and there's something about player they Mm. obviously have qualities kind of that reach out beyond just what happens in the match so he has got that star quality and as you said he put on the runs in the 2019 world cup but if you talk to him about it he'll say it was a massive disappointment in terms of how the team performed yeah,
1: I think that's when I interviewed him. I think it was during that World Cup. And he was very down on where the West Indies had gone. They Obviously, I think they came into it with higher hopes than maybe people from the outside. I mean, if we remember, they just qualified ahead of Scotland. So from the outside, we are all thinking not much was going to come from it. West Indies had a poor series, but he had an incredible one. He was wouldn't have been in everyone's World Cup team at that tournament, but quite a few of us had him in the World Cup. That was also the period where I thought teams started to work him out a little bit more. I don't know if it was that Pakistan game or if it was the Bangladesh game. It was one of the games I went to where they came on and they had a leg spinner or a left arm finger spinner bowling to him and they had no deep mid wicket. Hmm. And I'm just sitting there going, no one has any idea who this guy is. He was so under the radar, despite the fact that, you know, what we've talked about, the under-19 World Cup going to the Bangladesh Premier League when he was very young, the IPL tryouts and all that sort of stuff. Basic information teams didn't know. This next generation from 2019 through to now, so this last two or three years, he's become one of the most famous T20 players on the planet. He had that huge big bash season, and obviously he had a year and a half in the IPL that was massive as well. He's now a frontline West Indian player. It's a completely different era of his career that he's moving into now, isn't it?
0: Yeah, 100%. You'd say he's a top star in the West Indies. He's sort of... It's kind of strange because he's what, 26 now, but he's up until probably the last year and a half, he's sort of been viewed still as a kid. And that's partly because of the longevity of the likes of Gale and Bravo. They still sort of took the headlines in that West Indies team. Everyone else is so old. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) essentially. (laughs) The rest of the team. He's not young, they're old. Yeah, it's, it's an unusual situation because in the West Indies, we sort of view Hetmeyer and Pooran as up-and-coming sort of young players, whereas in fact, they're coming up to the peak of what should be their career. But it's sort of having to live in the shadows of these guys who have defined the format. So now's really, with DJ Barber retiring, Gale stepping out of the team, we sort of seen Pooran being held up to the limelight. And so as you said, teams know about him very well. And the amount of cricket he plays for franchises and internationally, there's so much footage about him. So it's about whether he can keep up to that and work on technical abilities to get ahead of the game. Tell me about him personally. So
1: I think that other than meeting him once or twice and then interviewing him, I don't think I've chatted to him that much. He's a very intense young guy though, at times, like he's very focused and he thinks a lot. I'm not sure if shy is the right word, but he's not a very outgoing person. I found him Very, very intense and very specific with what he said and the way that that he chats. He's not like a gregarious or comfortable person when I chatted to him. Is that the kind of vibe that you got off
0: him as well? Well, here's an interesting one, because this, again, might link to the whole Gail Bravo thing, because he comes across as a sort of shy and quiet person. But I don't know whether that's just because he's been in teams with such extroverted characters, because in recent series against England and India, we've seen backstage footage after the matches. He's sort of leading the team talks, and he's very charismatic, which kind of goes against the image I had of him. When I did talk to him, as you said, he was slightly reserved, very intense. But one thing is he can analyze the game very well. So talking about batting in the power yeah. play, different positions. And it'd be interesting because he went to the same college, Naparima College in Trinidad, which Samuel Badri Darren Ganga went to, who are obviously great communicator, analysts. So it'd be interesting to see if his upbringing, his school, has kind of taught him how to articulate himself and analyse the game in a, in a certain way. So I don't know anything about that. Is it, and I'm only
1: basing this on the fact. That Samuel Badgery is very smart and feels very posh to me. Is that a posh school? Is that like a better area of town compared to where Karen Pollard comes from?
0: Yeah, it'd be a better sort of school area. But also looking at the alumni who went there, so Trevor McDonald, Ganga, Badgery, a famous author, Sam Selvon, they all seem to be very good communicators. So that's obviously something yeah. that he would have had in his grounding. So maybe it's just the case of him being in the shadows of these West Indian stars. He hasn't had the outlet to sort of articulate himself. And maybe going forward, now he'll eventually be West Indies captain, you imagine, sooner rather than later. It will sort of come out his communication abilities and his personality more than anything. I think for a big West Indian star, we haven't really got to see much of his personality.
1: Mm. Yeah, he's. I think that's on purpose. He's very, as we both said, like very intense and very, you know, reserved with what he says. I know that there was a particular journalist he did an interview with. He was very upset that that journalist didn't go big on the Gus Logie stuff. He felt very let down by Gus Logie and he's very passionate in the way that he gets that across. But obviously, it's at a certain point, it's also almost a gossipy story, if you know what I mean. Whereas the rest of his story is so fascinating. Do you think, I'm going to throw this at you. Do you think Perron is a potential test captain? Which is incredible to think, as we're saying here, and he's played five first-class games. But do you think that is a possibility for him?
0: I think it is a possibility, but that kind of reflects the lack of obvious captains in the West Indies uh, test setup. I would say West Indies have clearly groomed him to be a captain in a white ball format. So he's obviously got that tactical and leadership ability. So if he was to get a few test caps, I can imagine if Brathwaite was to step down or they removed him as captain. poor and if he's been playing a few test matches by that point, he'd probably be the first choice to become captain. Um, two years ago, you would have said Hetmeyer would be a shoe in to be the captain at some point, but he's sort of fallen off the radar mm. in terms of highlighting and showing his captaincy ability. So I would say, just purely down to the lack of obvious leaders in the region, and his name would be in the mix for sure.
1: Hetmeyer was the under 19 captain. And, you know, at that period, he was the one that everyone was thinking about being a future leader. Obviously, he's had problems with his own body um, of recent times and had some problems with the board as well. It just feels like that Puran has sort of overcome him a little bit more. And as you said, there's absolutely no doubt that they are pushing him. I don't know if this is, you know, Phil Simmons and Kyron Pollard or if this is a whole West Indian cricket thing, but it really feels like they're pushing him more and more towards this leadership role for Puran. It'd be really interesting to see how he develops with that and if he changes his sort of public persona, the sort of stuff that you're talking about that you see in the the behind-the-scenes footage where he's a bit more vocal, I suppose, is the best way Mm. of putting it. But what a remarkable story it would be, and a very modern West Indies story, if he does end up captaining the test team, considering... He once had his local board not pay his fees and was suspended by the West Indies Cricket Board and then had to go play in Seattle because he couldn't get cricket anywhere else. It's such a modern West Indian cricket story, Nicholas Puran. Incredible talent and almost had to overcome everything else that's been thrown at him.
0: Yeah, and I think to be a true West Indian story, he'll probably be captain on debut, his test debut. They'll probably just make him captain and say, yeah, here you go. That was sort of end the chapter of the Puran's remarkable West Indian story he'd be captain, wicket keeper, batting first
1: drop at his first test. He'll be like the legion of a new generation, like just sort of completely dropped in from nowhere and have to do that. But you're right. I mean, the thing is that he's 26, he's had this remarkable career. You say he wants to play test cricket. I got that feeling from him when I talked to him a couple of years ago as well. I think that it's still a big unticked box for Nicolas Perrin. Like he's already shown at the World Cup and the IPL that he can be one of the best players in two different forms of white cricket. I think that he certainly the last thing on his sort of bucket list is starring as a West Indian test player. It'd be interesting to know if also being the captain of any of the West Indian teams is also something that is something that he always thought about when he was young or whether he didn't because Hetmeyer was coming through at a similar age.
0: Mm. See, this is the thing. I'd like to take it as face value that he wants to play Test Cricket. But we also spoke to Evan Lewis um, on the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, and he said Test Cricket was still on his radar. He'd love to play it. But part of me does wonder whether these West Indian fans in particular will know the complete backlash Chris Gale got about 10, 12 years ago for saying Test Cricket is dead to him. Whether this is sort of a PR line, keep saying you're going to play Test Cricket, yeah, Test Cricket's the pinnacle, and then never eventually play it. So it'd be interesting to see. I do think, Paul Ryan is more genuine than Evan Lewis in terms of wanting to play Red Bull cricket, Test cricket. But it'd be interesting to see the pathway, how sort of cricket West Indies and him work to kind of get to that route, which is the main thing. Because just by principle, I don't think West Indies will allow him a free pass to get into the Test side without having to commit to some sort of domestic first-class season. So the pathway is very tough. It'd be interesting to see. At the stage he is in his career now, you'd imagine in the next two years he has to be in the Test team, or he never will, or... If he does come into the test Mm. team after that, he'll be past his peak. So it's sort of a critical juncture in terms of his test career ambitions at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to see what West Indies cricket do. You know, Under Ricky Skerritt, it's certainly been much more inclusive than it was under Dave Cameron where you were with us or against us. Mm. The old way doesn't work, right? (laughs) The, The first class setup doesn't work for these modern players. So maybe there's another way of doing it and saying, okay, well, you need to make yourself available for five West Indian A games or a West Indian A tour or two tours in a row, or whatever that may be, will happily make you qualify from there. Because, I mean, Evan Lewis, Hetmyer, Puran, I mean, even someone like Obed McCoy, you know, how many six foot five, 90 mile an hour left arm bowlers are there around in the world? And Obed's not a first class cricketer, really. And he might never be a first class cricketer. And, I got him his agent back in the day. I don't think his agent's like pushing him to become a test cricketer. So it's depending on whether someone like Obed wants to become a test cricketer at that point. But if there's no way to scoop up these guys or keep them involved, then you're going to miss out on a whole generation of cricketers. And you've already missed out on a whole generation of cricketers because the last board basically was at war with their players. The great news is they're no longer at war with their players, but now they have to come up with a compromise that kind of makes everyone happy, or, as most compromises, makes everyone a little bit unhappy, but unhappy enough.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think... It wouldn't even be entirely unprecedented. I mean, it obviously applies to spinners more, but Sonny Ramadan had only played like two first-class games before he was picked for the test side. Sunil Orion had played like six before he was picked. So poor Ram he's played five. I mean, it's whether they see, okay, he's played some first-class cricket, we, that could kind of tick the criteria. Or as you said, if they do say, listen, play half a season in the West Indies, and then you can play. But the question is, if he was to play half a season, he would have to miss out on a big contract at some franchise or a White ball series of Web West Indies. So how do you sort of balance that schedule and timetable? But it will be interesting to see how flexible they are to pull. And as you said, we've already missed out on a generation of stars because of the board player disputes. So it would be a real shame to miss out on this current generation as well. So as you said, Skerritt has been very flexible and open to integrating players into the side. So I'm very interested to see it in the next year or so, how they sort of communicate and have dialogue with Puran. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber, Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.